Welcome to the Spiritually Me podcast that helps you connect with that beautiful and eternal being within you. Whether you're new to spirituality or a seasoned practitioner, this is the show for you. As someone who has struggled with my inner voice and felt unsure of how to live a life that aligns with my soul, I know how confusing it can be. That's why I created this podcast, to help others find the clarity, peace, and purpose that I have found in my own journey. So if you're craving guidance, support on your journey towards spiritual awakening and divine connection, tune into this podcast for your weekly dose of inspiration. I'm Dulce Candy, your Latina sister, and this is Spiritually Me. Hello, ladies. Welcome to another episode. Happy Friday. I am so happy to be connecting with you guys once again. I just finished filming a monthly favorites, and I really wanted to take some time right after this to talk to you guys and create the episode that I've been wanting to put out. But whenever I listen to a podcast, I always love going back to the very beginning. If it's a podcast like that I really connect with the person, I love going back to the very beginning and learning about the host and their story and where they come from. And I really love learning about the host and why they started the podcast, who they are. And so that's what I wanted to do today, just to give you guys a little brief introduction as to who I am to all of the new people who are watching or listening to the podcast. And maybe you are brand new, you have no idea what I've done before, who I am, and you're interested to hear the backstory. So I am drinking ceremonial cacao which I haven't because I've been so in my masculine energy, just executing and working. And I feel like I've been off balance. You know, I have a really deep yearning for connection and um, like a divine connection, which I haven't really felt. And I think that's why I was really drawn to making ceremonial cacao today, just to be in tune a lot more with my heart and my spirit, especially when I'm connecting with you guys, because I want everything that I say to be intentional. So where do we begin? I was born in Mexico, Sacapu, Michoacan, 1987, a long ass time ago, guys. And yeah, so I was born in Mexico and I immigrated to the United States in 94 when I was six years old. I've told the story before. Um, I published a book in 2015 and I told the entire story of how my mom, my older sister who was seven at the time and my little sister who was three at the time and myself, we all you know, immigrated to the United States, to California, and my mom had no idea what she was getting into, but we ended up getting smuggled into the country, and, you know, it was a very intense situation, like, um, I still have a lot of vivid memories of that time, and I was only six years old. Um, when I wrote my book, and I wrote the story, and my sister, who was three at the time, um, she read the book, she she told me that she cried because her entire life she thought it was a dream and I remember it so vividly but in retrospect um, she was only three years old you know so for her in her mind all the memories were dreams until she read my book and she was like wow like all these dreams that I had they weren't dreams they were I they were memories 
And so, yeah, it was an interesting journey coming to America. Uh, we lived in Oxnard, California, 805, predominantly Mexican immigrant community. People from Oxnard are very humble, very grounded, very hardworking, and just incredible people, honestly. Humble is the word that comes to mind, just like down to earth and just, you know, family orientated and just community. And very proud of anybody who makes it out of there. Like Fernando Vargas, I remember, um, was a big deal back when I was um, in high school. And he was from the 805 area. And he lived right outside of my high school, Channel Islands High School. And his house was like the biggest mansion in a regular neighborhood. But he had like this huge house, like the only one mansion there. Yeah, so he had security cameras and everything. And I just remember like going to my friend Bao's house which by the way, Bao, if you're out there, hit me up, girl, I've been looking for you. I don't know where you are. Anyways, so yeah, he had security cameras outside of his house. And I just remember being a high school girl and thinking like, whoa, he's rich, <laughs> you know, because, you know, predominantly our town did not have rich people. We were all like lower class or middle class people. And um, so yeah, I'm very proud to be from Oxnard, California, because it really made me into the person that I am. That's why I do feel like I have a little bit of street, you know, like a little bit of street, a little bit of hood <laughs> in my personality, even though I am so girly. But I was so inspired by cholas growing up. I admired them so much. And uh, still to this day, you know, cholas are my biggest inspiration. They are just incredible, strong women, authentic, um, unique, and just strong, you know, like badass women. Some of the key moments from that journey coming here, which I still can't believe that happened to like my mom and my sisters and myself, because that's not what my mom signed up for. Like people just kind of changed the plans on her. And she had to protect us from like all of these men that we were with and strangers. And at one point we had to cross like a river and jump fences in the middle of the night and hide from the immigration police and all of those things and I remember sleeping also in this very very sketchy looking hotel like they were bed bugs on the bed it smelled like smoke there was outside of the bathroom window there was I still remember like two women cursing at each other and the guy that was gonna bring us into the U.S. he took us to the very top of the roof to show us other people jumping the fence and that we were about to jump at three in the morning and we were seeing them get caught by immigration and we went and did that and we were like raccoons in the middle of the night just like ducking through neighborhoods and sleeping in garages with a bunch of people and strangers while we were making our way over here and I don't know what that does to a person but that's part of my journey and I came you know I came here, I didn't know English, and I picked it up very, very quickly. Um, however, very interestingly enough, um, growing up, there was always this energy of shame, of being brown, of being Mexican. Sorry, that was my dog. There was a lot of energy of just like, you know, getting followed at stores or just feeling like we weren't good enough because, uh, at least me, as a little girl, nobody told me this, but the feeling and the energy, even from some teachers, was, I don't like you because you are Mexican, because you are brown. I saw how other people were treated who were not brown, 
And so I grew up feeling not comfortable in who I was and in my culture. And so I started to um, do my best to learn English and only focus on English and to fit into the society. And at that time, also all the magazines, everything on TV, nothing ever looked like a brown, short Mexican girl. Like nothing reflect anything that reflected beauty was not it, not what I was. So that played a role into me falling out of love with myself. And I remember as a little girl, I used to be so in love with myself in Mexico when I was like five. I remember this one vivid memory, just looking at myself in the mirror and just being like, I love your nose. Your nose looks like a Volkswagen Beetle car. You know, I remember having that thought and just admiring my features. But when I came to the U.S., it wasn't that energy. Everything around me was teaching me that I was ugly, not good enough, not worthy. Um, and, you know, speaking Spanish and everything was just like that was the energy. And so I had a really hard time with my identity and I didn't really have any anyone who was telling me otherwise. And as a little girl, you grow up, I grew up just being very lost and very sheltered also and so I started to seek attention from boys and I wanted to fit in because I always felt like I never fit in and I went down the wrong path um, especially when I started puberty and that explains a lot as to why I didn't love myself and why I was seeking attention and approval and I was ashamed of every little thing that made me who I was I remember just feeling so ugly and physical attributes were so important to me when I was little, you know, because I felt like because of the way that I looked, I didn't have any value as a person. And so my journey for towards self-love and self-confidence, self-esteem has started since I came to the United States. It literally started the day that I came here. Anyways, um, that has inspired a lot of the work that I do now. Um, I'm very passionate about, you know, sharing everything that I've learned um, on my journey because as a 35-year-old woman who's been through a lot of therapy, I've done a lot of inner work, more so in these last few years, um, I love myself. I cannot picture myself not loving myself, you know? My teenage years, I hated school. I never learned um, anything. I never read a book until like I was 30 or something. Literally, guys, yes. So I kind of grew up feeling pretty um, less than smart. I grew up feeling less than smart because I got nothing but Fs, pretty much, Ds and Fs, and all the way up through high school. And I barely graduated by a hair. The reason for that is because I just wanted someone to say you're worthy, you're valuable. And for that, I was seeking other teenagers, which is so insane to me. I was seeking approval from my peers. And it's like, how do you expect another teenager to give you that emotional support? But in my mind, it just made sense. I'm like, I want to be accepted. You know, I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. And I started to look for attention in a lot of men and I started ditching school and um, just doing like really not just dumb things, guys. And my parents, you know, they were worried about me. They, I made my dad cry one time, which I've never seen my dad cry, but they were just so worried about me because I was going down the wrong path in the 
I was, you know, like not coming home or drinking, like me and my friends would be like, let's see how many shots we can take. And I'm only like 15 and I'm taking like 10 shots of liquor and then getting blacked out drunk somewhere on someone's house. So it was really out of control, guys. And then I was also with like this toxic boy who was who didn't care about me at all. And I loved him. Or I, I thought I did, but I didn't. But I thought I loved him. And um, I was with him for many years, um, maybe like five years or something like that. Yeah, like five. And I always thought that he was going to change, but it just always got worse. He was always in jail and I would write to him and it was just not a good thing, right? And so finally, when I graduated high school and I was working at, you know, minimum wage and I couldn't, I had debt already because I got a credit card and nobody taught me about finances. So I just went crazy with the credit card and I had all of this debt and so I couldn't afford to go to college and I didn't have the grades to get into college because I had barely graduated so I couldn't go to college not even community college couldn't afford that and my car and I was like well what am I gonna do so in that moment I'm always been the one to make some drastic decisions and I decided to enlist in the U.S. Army you know this recruiter came to my house one day and I wanted to make my mom and my dad and my cousins proud of me you know my older cousins um my teacher and uh, cop cousin CHP officer because I really admire them and I didn't want them to see me in the light that maybe they saw me because I was really going down the wrong path and I don't know my parents maybe were ashamed of me maybe my family was ashamed of me or I don't know but yeah so I joined the army straight out of high school because I couldn't afford to go to college that boy that I was with really broke my heart to the fullest extent of the capacity I didn't have any money and my options just didn't seem good you know so I said let's go to the army let's leave this town and go start a new life and I was fearless and I did a lot of things at a very young age that I would think twice about doing today. Um, but yeah, I went to Fort Jackson. I did my basic training and then I became a generator mechanic in Aberdeen Proving Grounds. That's where I went to AIT. And then I got stationed in Fort Hood, Texas. And you know, everything going on with Vanessa Guillen just really makes me think about how much Fort Hood has changed because when I was there I did so many things alone and I'm just so grateful that nothing happened you know because I was so young and immature and fearless and reckless also at the same time and so anyways um, yeah I got stationed in Fort Hood in three core and as soon as I got there I think like maybe a few months after like three months after we deployed to Iraq for 15 months and maybe I'll do another episode guys on my experience as a woman in the U.S. Army because I want to share my story you know because like on one hand I'm so proud to be a war veteran and to serve my country and to have that like that's something that I've always been so proud of and also when you wear the uniform and you know how I was telling you that I used to seek approval when you wear the uniform you get so much respect like you get respected so much when you wear that uniform from strangers everybody says thank you for your service wow they're impressed 
And so on one hand, I'm so proud, right? But on the other hand, it's like all of the soldiers that go overseas are so young. They're babies. When I was looking at the documentary of Vanessa Guillen, and I saw a photo of her and her comrades, the fellow soldiers and like all the, the privates, private first class and corporals, they're babies. As a 35-year-old woman looking back at all of these 18, 19-year-olds, I was 18. These are babies that are going to war. I have a problem with that now. I have a problem with that. And I have a problem also with some of the things that I saw because... I was a, in, when I was deployed in Iraq, I was a convoy driver, a, a truck driver. And so we went in and out of the safe zone. You know, we escorted VIPs back and forth from Camp Victory to the green zone. So we were out in danger and, you know, out in battle and, and things like that. The soldiers are, are babies and they're dying. And it's just like, I thank them so much for what they do for us, but they're also babies, you know? And especially, like I said, I was 18. And when you're 18, you're like, you're excited to go to war. I remember coming back from war and then getting out of the army and then joining the reserves. I got promoted to a sergeant and there was a lot of young, you know, 18, 19 year olds um, who were, who had just joined, but they joined straight into the reserves and they were so excited to get it, to get deployed and go to war. Like they were pumped up. Like they wanted to go fight. And you should see like the young infantrymen also. Like they are pumped up and they are proud and ready to go fight for this country. And that's my energy. That's kind of like the energy that I had when I was 18. I didn't care about my life like that. I didn't think about what I was signing up for. I just wanted to go and I was excited. But anyways, that's where I met my husband. We met as soon as I got to Fort Hood. We'll tell that story in another episode. We deployed together. We did 15 months in Baghdad and then we came back and I got out of the army and that's when I discovered YouTube. And that's, you know, in 2008, I started uploading content at the very, very, very beginning when there were maybe less than 100 YouTube channels in the beauty world. And so it was very, very new and very exciting. A different time. We had Fafnet. We had Riz Rose. We had Michelle Fawn. We had um, Ellen Blair, Mac NC40, and the Queen of Blending, and Petrilude, and X Barkage, and... Those were OGs, guys, 2008. I saw a podcast episode, not a podcast, but someone on TikTok did a video about like, who remembers the OGs? And the OGs that they were mentioning were like 2013 OGs. How about the 2008 OGs? Those are the originals, you know? Fafinet, did I mention her? Oh yeah, it's Judy time, duh. It's Judy time. She is still on and popping into the full force. And um, so, yeah, so many people, guys, but it was such a different era. We were all so young also. And I remember um, just my first opportunity was um, Seventeen Magazine and I got flown to New York and I got the whole treatment like Seventeen. Ma- I always wanted to be in a magazine, guys, Seventeen specifically. But yeah, that was my first ever big opportunity was I got a photo shoot in New York. I went to New York by myself. It was a horrible experience, not Seventeen Magazine, but like being alone in New York 
and you have no idea what you're doing is the first time that I'm traveling but Ellen Blair's mom was so nice to me she was like worried about me and everything and yes um, because they were a part of the photo shoot also and yeah it was just a really fun time because everything was so like new like I never thought that I would be in 17 magazine and then after that I found a publicist and he started getting me all of these school invitations to walk red carpets to get featured in magazine photo shoots and my channel was just growing and growing and growing so fast and everything was so new and exciting and it was just a different time you know another really exciting thing that something I never thought it would be possible but by the age of 25 I had become a self-made millionaire 25 guys yeah with literally d's and f's and rejection and so yeah the world started seeing me differently I started getting treated differently because of the money and because of the success and being on television and magazines and uh, the YouTube channel and all of that. So that definitely in my 20s fed my ego so much. And the thing about that is that all of that is not forever. You know, whatever goes up also needs to come back down. So my come down from that was, if I'm being honest, I think one of the things that triggered my spiritual awakening because it made me feel like I did, ha did not have any worth again. I hadn't worked through any of that. I really felt like my value came from external things because nobody treated me great pretty much my whole life. I was kind of like in the background. Nobody gave me attention. Nobody said anything like, Dulce, you're awesome. I love you, Dulce. Nothing like that, you know? I never got treated like that. And this is not a sob story, right? This is just a reality of what was happening in my mind. But then when the money came and the fame came and the recognition and the awards and publishing a book and speaking, you know, to Joe Biden, interviewing Hillary Clinton, like all of these huge things, even being on, on television and my extended family scene and everybody, everybody just started treating me like I was something special. Like I went to family gatherings and my dad would just talk about me like nonstop. Like he would just, be, he was so proud that I went to the army. He's just so proud. Like all the time he would talk about me and it became a little uncomfortable around my sisters because he didn't give the same energy to them. That was like, whoa, I'm getting treated differently now from literally everybody. And like I said, what goes up must come down and I had to really start to look at myself and I feel like this was all divinely guided and God planned it out for me because I learned the very val valuable and painful lesson of not attaching myself to anything external to validate my worth and so I started stripping away or I should say God started stripping away everything that he had given me and even at one point I was like God I don't know why and this is how I feel, guys, all right? I'm going to be honest. If not, what's the point of even having a podcast? Why is it, God, that when I was so in my ego and I didn't really care to look within myself, I had anger issues in my 20s? I was depressed. I was anxious. Why is it that I was blessed with external stuff? But now that I... I am looking within so much and all I yearn for is to serve God. Why is it that I that all of that is gone? It's like, how does God bless you with so much 
when you are mentally at your worst when you're looking for every little area of your life where you can improve and be your best and like that's your priority why is life even more challenging now so anyways i do believe that all of this happened so it can lead me to to this to this episode to this podcast um to what i'm doing now and it's led me to become a meditation teacher to question a lot of things, to let go of a lot of things, to sell a lot of things, to just let go of so many external things that I found value in. I remember asking myself this question honestly and truthfully. If all of these external things were taken away from you, would you believe that you still had worth as a human? And my answer was no. I said no. I said no a year ago. And now I don't feel that way, you know. Today I'm 35. I'm a mom of two little boys, a 12-year-old boy and a 2-year-old boy. I have a great husband. I love my family. I love my friends. I love my community. And all I want to do is serve God. All I want to do is connect and serve God. That's the face of my life where I find myself now. Those are my prayers. Those are my priorities. Working on becoming a better me so I can be a better wife, mom, friend, leader, creator. Working through all of those shadows and being more honest, more vulnerable. I love teaching meditation and I'm so proud when people ask me, what do you do for a living? (laughs) I went to um, a Catholic, no, not Catholic, Christian church this weekend because my husband got invited and they asked me what do you do and I said I'm a meditation teacher every single time someone asks me I'm so proud to say that and I love teaching it I feel like it's allowing me to explore my talent and what I love about it the most is that teaching meditation is about teaching people how to connect with the stillness inside of us because in the stillness is where I believe God resides and God could be, you know, however you choose to call the highest power. And that's what I love. And that's a part of my mission. And my teacher, Roger Gabriel, he even said that one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone is teaching them meditation even once in their life before they leave. And that that would be enough. And so, yeah, I do that. I love creating content. I love Sweet Soul, the community Sweet Soul is a divine gift it came to me an inspiration and i've been cultivating that essence behind sweet soul and every day it gets more refined the vision the mission and our purpose with sweet soul and this is just the the very beginning the infancy of sweet soul and i'm really excited for this podcast to have these kind of conversations this is the first time that i let my wall down if I'm being honest, because I've been shamed by people for being me and sharing my opinion and and I am here to serve the light. Anyways, that is pretty much it, guys. That is where I'm at right now. I am so happy to be able to connect with you guys. I can't wait to hear what you have to say in the comments section. Please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed today's episode. It really helps Sweet Soul and the Spiritually Me podcast to grow and to be seen and to reach more people. And that's something that I would greatly appreciate if you guys took the time 
to do. And with that being said, I hope you all have a blessed and beautiful day and I can't wait to see you guys next Friday.